trying to think of how to start this one. It's tough. It's really tough. I think human beings, this is just an insinuation, um, but I think human beings crave structure. No matter how free um, we like to live our lives, um, if you don't have structure, a type of structure or purpose, everything becomes a little more difficult. Now, I haven't served in the military myself, but I have to believe that they're giving, given nothing but structure and purpose. The choice that they made to serve in the military gives them purpose. The military gives them purpose. And they're broken down and given structure every day. It's important. And when you serve, once you're done serving and you leave and that structure is taken, the way, taken away, it can feel like you're lost. Like you don't have, like you don't have any more purpose. Like you can't figure out what you should be doing. Uh, recently I was, and that can be challenging. Um, the veteran suicide rate, I don't have the exact numbers, but it's about double civilian, the civilian suicide rate per 100,000 people. Lack of structure, uh, mental and mental health, addiction problems can plague veterans at a much higher rate than civilians. And these are people that having the bravery to do what they do and to make the choices that they do can make it even more, can make the problem even more treacherous because asking for help can be difficult. You tend to isolate even more than the, the regular addict or alcoholic would. Recently I was, I was fortunate enough to interview Sparta native JT Saver, who told me about his, his time in the military, his choice to serve, and ultimately coming back home um, and facing those feelings of power, powerlessness, maybe uselessness, um, kind of didn't feel uh, battled with addiction uh, for years and tried to do it on his own. Um, ultimately leading to a suicide attempt. And if it wasn't for his service dog, Phoenix, he wouldn't have been here today to, or that day to, to talk to me about his life. Since then, he went on to start to help various veterans groups and to start Tactical Recovery that operates out of the um, Cooley, Cooley Recovery Center here in, in La Crosse on Ferry Street. And the point of the group is using the smart recovery system for um, addiction and alcoholism, uh, provide a source of structure and comfort for veterans. Um, beyond that, they, beyond just uh, being a recovery group, uh, provides camaraderie. Um, it provides activities and things for um, a common space for veterans to um, be together. In a place where you can relate to common experiences. Now as service dog Phoenix, if it wasn't for Phoenix, JT wouldn't be here. But ultimately, 
um, after losing a battle to cancer. No. Phoenix ultimately lost a battle to cancer, and through Phoenix's passing, JT, uh, with with uh, another group, started Brody's Brody's Phoenix Fund, um, which raises money for veteran service dogs who are battling cancer. Raises money to help help with with um, vet costs, medical costs. So, not only was he at a point of a point where he was done trying and was going to give up and just end it. He chose not to. He chose to stay. And he chose to use his life and his purpose from here on, here on out to serve others, to reach out for others with stories like his and to help others with stories like his. So it was, it was a big honor. I really appreciated it. And this is a very long-winded introduction. I'm going to have to cut out some of this. But um, we're going to play a quick a quick promo spot for the Tactical Recovery Center, and then we'll get to our to my interview with JT Saver at the Quilly Recovery Center. Thank you very much. Um, yelling at this is yelling at birds. I'm Matt. Enjoy the interview. Substance use disorders and mental health issues can impact anyone. It's especially true for men and women who've served in the military. Talking about it can be hard. Seeking help can be even harder. The Tactical Recovery Group is your resource. The La Crosse Area Veterans Mentor Program and Cooley Recovery Center have come together to create an environment where your military experience and struggles can be understood and addressed. The Tactical Recovery Group is free and confidential. Contact the Tactical Recovery Group at the Cooley Recovery Center or go to facebook.com slash tactical recovery group. Well, JT, thank you very much thank for you. Uh, having you know having me in here today. Welcome yeah, me into the Cooley Council for Addictions or Cooley Recovery Center. Cooley Recovery Center now. Yep, yep. yep. We're just in the process of reflaging everything, um, but yeah, technically Cooley Recovery Center. Okay, perfect. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I guess I I just want to know a little about, bit about your your story, um, mm -hmm. the t story of tactical recovery. Um, and a few other things that we've mentioned. So I guess starting out, you know, would you let me know a little bit about, about who you are and, and yeah. what brought you here? Sure. So uh, I was in the military for just about 10 years. Um, in the ending phase of my transition out, I had gotten injured uh, in combat and had a series of just unfortunate events that occurred um, where surgeries were required and different reasons that legit, there was a legitimate need for opiate pain medications. Sure. And that just kind of spiraled um, into a very dark place where quickly I found myself completely addicted to, to opiate painkillers. <clears throat> Got out of the military, um, was still carrying around that baggage of everything that I had been through while still in the military and learned that, you know, here's this pill that I can take to really mask all of that pain and, and stuff that I was internally uh, holding on to and just drove that addiction even in, even deeper inside mm -hmm. of me. Um, didn't think that I had PTSD, didn't really know anything about it at the time. Um, so I didn't seek out any assistance for anything like that. And I just, I just self-medicated for, for a couple of years until you know life just got to really dark places and had some uh, events that kind of awakened my eyes to where I was. Um, some fortunate things that took place 
and uh, allowed me to kind of realize that I did need some help and that there was some things that were contributing to um, my need for these opiate medications that, you know, it wasn't just all chemical addiction related, you know. Sure. So at that point in time, um, I actually had a social worker that came right out finally at one point. So let me back, back up a little bit. July 2013, I had a suicide attempt. <clears throat> okay. And that was kind of the, the end thing that kind of made me realize, you know, something, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something different here. Luckily um, for me, I was fortunate enough at this time to have a service dog in my life. His name was Phoenix and he was kind of like my, uh, my little guardian angel. And yeah. he, when I had my suicide attempt, his training kicked in and he intervened and ultimately he ended up saving my life because he just came up to me um, as I was bleeding out and he just intervened and he just, he, he actually, <laughs> it gives me chills to think about, but he, he came up to me and he just put his head in my lap and he just looked at me. And it just in that moment kind of, it pulled me out of the dark hole that I was in and it made me realize that there is still people and things in this world that love me that want me here and I can't you know I can't do this what am I doing and I was able to um, kind of quickly repair some of the damage I had done I actually fashioned a tourniquet using a, a dog leash and a giant spoon metal spoon and then I I passed out uh, next time I woke up I was actually in the hospital and getting all stitched up and stuff like that <clears throat> that then led to um, me obviously with that type of suicide attempt i was required to go and see a psychologist before being able to be released and stuff and finally at that point in time this this uh, psychologist just straight up asked me do i have a substance use problem and sure. <laughs> that was the first time anybody had ever asked me okay. um and i just I, I couldn't lie i couldn't you know i just i had to say yes i don't know why i said yes i'd lied many many times before to to other people but i'd never really been straight up asked either you know right so when she just straight up asked me um i finally admitted to it and then that got things kind of moving for me i was able to get into um the toma vamc's uh, substance abuse program after getting some sobriety under my belt kind of getting my my head kind of cleaned up a little bit I was able to then transition into their PTSD program. Um, I went through that twice. Um, and then after that, I was in their year-long transitional residency program. So all in all, I had a little bit over 18 months of almost consistent uh, treatment. And okay. it, was, it was that long treatment that really helped, you know, make this thing um, stick for me. So I was very fortunate to be able to have everything that I had to have that, you know, long continued amount of, of care and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, that was seven, seven years ago almost. Okay. And, um, then yeah, <laughs> I just kind of came here. I ended up coming to Cooley, um, because I heard a radio ad where they were looking for, um, people who had been through the process of getting into recovery, substance mm -hmm. abuse and everything. They were starting up a new program that was gonna be um, funded through this federal grant that they had received where it's called the ED2 Recovery Program. ED2 just stands for Emergency, emergency Departments. So the gist of it is whenever someone comes into the emergency room and they have an overdose on opiates, 
that emergency room would reach out to us and ask us if we would be willing to come down there, bring one of our trained recovery coaches down to try to talk to this person, to kind of help them to see if we can't get them into recovery. Okay. Um, get them in, let them know what they have available to them, just kind of help guide them. And from that, it then, um, that's where I got hired on for that. And that kind of transitioned into a staff position with Cooler Recovery. And then from there, um, lacrosse area veterans mentorship program actually had reached out to me and they had told me about how they had tried to create a program for veterans um, in recovery from both substance abuse and mental health but they they just didn't have much, much success at it I think the reason that they didn't have much success is because it was kind of out of the field of expertise that they're accustomed to they had a lot of really okay. intelligent awesome people doing amazing things, but they weren't real um, engraved in recovery community and all that stuff. And I had met the executive director, uh, Dustin Schultz before, and he must have just remembered my name and, and my story and everything like that. And he came down and talked to me about um, if I would be willing to create a program specifically for veterans and they would fund it. So that kind of got the ball rolling and here we are with the tactical recovery program now. Wow. That's a journey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's quite a lot. Quite a lot. Yeah. tossed into a little story there, but yeah. No, absolutely. Well, it's a, the story. The story is important. Yeah. Um, because I, I know you know a lot of people would identify with a lot of the things that you've gone through. Mm -hmm. um, now you mentioned, kind of, you didn't really realize. Um, obviously, opiates were prescribed, necessary. You're having you're having surgeries. Right. Um, but you didn't really think of the PTSD portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, was, I'm sorry. Go was ahead. there? Um, was there really much awareness or focus on that as you were as you were serving as you were getting ready to leave the service? So there there was some awareness brought on about the capacity for abuse of opiates, but not so much the addiction part of it. Sure. Um, I will say that at that time, this is like 2006, 2007, 2008 mm -hmm. timeframe when it was really kind of the height of the abusive prescribing of oxycontin and oxycodone yeah. and all that stuff. So I will say it was you know. It was kind of the wild west for getting pills. You know, we would come back from, I remember coming back from deployment and it seemed like everybody was getting a prescription for painkillers and, you know, barbiturates and benzos and just everything. So um, very loosely uh, prescribed with, with minimal actual um, requirement for these drugs. And then very little was actually said about the serious nature of these chemicals that you're putting in your body and what they potentially can do. Sure. Um, have you seen that change? Have you seen more more awareness in that, in that regard since then? A little bit. I think I haven't been in the military ranks to to actually see if it's coming from them individually. But just because there's so much more awareness mm -hmm. in in the public society in general, there's a lot more understanding, and that unfortunately came at the cost of a lot of people losing their lives or losing you know right. everything that they have. So um, it's a, it's very unfortunate, but hopefully we can take that tragedy and, and help turn it into something positive and save somebody else so that they don't have to go through that same experience. Right, right. So um, what was, uh, I guess, what what led to this decision to serve initially? In the military? Yeah. yeah. Um, it was something I always kind of thought about doing. I grew up in a family that had a lot of military personnel. My grandfather was a World War II vet. Um, my dad was in the Air Force, kind of at the tail end of Vietnam. Not a Vietnam vet, but... Sure. Um, and I actually grew up in Sparta, Wisconsin, just outside of Fort McCoy, so I seen it growing up, I seen the Army. But it wasn't until kind of after 2001 
and 9-11 yeah. is, is when it kind of really kicked in and sunk in that this is something I was going to try to pursue. Um, and at that point in time, I had to make some lifestyle adjustments because I was a was not a candidate for the military at that time because I sure. was, you know, I was out of shape, overweight um, and stuff. So I took the next year, year and a half, uh, completely tr changed my life. And then I was off in 2003. OK. Um, and then so tell me a little bit what about what um, I keep I keep on going back to. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about tactical, tactical recovery, but I do want to talk about, um, I don't know if it's curiosity or if it's helpful, but you know, the, let's talk about the attempt. Mm -hmm. um, not asking, you mean you can go into as much detail yeah. as you want, but what is, can, do you remember your mindset? Uh, like what yes. is? So the mindset at that time was, I had been dealing with this addiction issue for quite a few years. Um, I had tried over and over and over again to attain sobriety on my own. I had hidden it from everybody in my family very well. Nobody knew anything. I had a living girlfriend at the time. She didn't even know. Um, and everything was kind of starting to, to hit the wall. Um, it was, it was going to be um, exposed if, if something didn't happen. And I just, I just felt lost. And then on top of it, <clears throat> I was actually going through withdrawal for about five or six days from opiates, and I was compensating that withdrawal sickness with um, Adderall, methamphetamines, and uh, that just spun me up really, really bad. Got my mind just going, and once I, you know, kind of had the thought about suicide, it was it was off and running and sure. you know it's like a freight train it was really hard to to get my mind off of it so mm -hmm. that was it it was you know fear embarrassment i knew that this thing was going to be exposed i was you know uh, afraid of what my family would think what they would say how they would you know look at me what it would do and i just thought that the answer was you know to to end my life but it yeah. definitely wasn't oh of course not yeah. of course not um what were you i guess what were you afraid of them thinking if they found out? You know, that's a really good question. I, I, I think it's just I've always kind of held myself to a high standard. So maybe it's just self-imposed um, type stuff. But, you know, you when you serve in the military and you can relate to this, you you're in a place where you have a lot of pride mm -hmm. over what you're doing. And then yeah. suddenly that's taken away and you don't realize it until after you get out that this is going to happen. But, you know, you have a lot of pride in what you're doing. You're doing something that you can be happy to do. It, it's, it's got a lot of ups and downs, but yet, you know, um, it just, it, it's very, you can be very passionate about it. At least I was. Mm -hmm. And then when that's removed and all of a sudden you're back out in civilian life and you think that you're going to find that kind of niche thing to fall back into and then it doesn't happen. And then on top of it, you're, having social anxiety with trying to uh, reintegrate back and find friends and purpose and, and all yeah. this stuff. It's just, yeah. it becomes really overwhelming and you know, you end up just sitting there. And I know for myself and a lot of other veterans that I know, the general tendency is to then to isolate and draw in. Um, yeah. And when you do that, then all those things just get exacerbated even more because mm -hmm. you know, you're not connecting with anybody whatsoever. And, um, yeah, it just, I think it's just that, you know, being isolated away from everybody, not having real purpose anymore when I came from something else and not wanting to be a failure, you know? Right, so. right. 
is there something to be said about um, it's a very highly structured life mm -hmm. being yes. in the military, and that's I don't have experience, but I'm just assuming mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, is this, there's something to be said about you know that ingrained pride, like that purpose and that pride, mm -hmm. I think is structured into your everyday life, and when that structure is just what we're seeing now with, mm -hmm. um, I think initially with um, people being quarantined, people shutting down, a lot of a lot of people in in the world, their the structure of their life is broken down and yep. then taken away, mm -hmm. and we're seeing a lot of you know animosity. That's when you see um, a lot of conspiracy theories kind of sure. get a lot get get arise because and anger and protests and everything. Mm -hmm. um, is is there any did that have any effect when you leave the military? That just like removal of that structure? Yeah, I would absolutely say so because you you have to change your entire way of thinking. You know, the military is very proficient at breaking you down and then rebuilding you back up how they want you so that mm -hmm. you work within the system that they've created. And it's necessary to be able to function and, and you know, survive in that environment. So, but it's, it's um, a way of living that it, it works okay in the civilian area in some ways, but then in other ways, the things that I think drive you to continue to want to live that lifestyle, you don't get that positive reinforcement back mm -hmm. in the civilian sector that you would have in the military. All you get is kind of the, I don't want to say the negative, but in a way it's its just, you know, you, you're living through the regimented lifestyle stuff, but then there's none of the, the positive stuff coming back in, you know? Sure. So um, yeah, I think that that's a huge process. That transaction is very difficult um, and you don't know until it happens and there's very little that takes place when you do transition out of the military I think that they should be doing a lot more mm -hmm. um, to create to, to fill that void and create purpose in veterans lives you know I sure. I hear a lot of times about different programs wanting to give veterans things you know whether it be trips here or you know, provide them with work there or free stuff here. And that's great, totally appreciate it. But I think most veterans, more than anything, they don't really want to be given anything. Like we're, we're very used to working for what we get. Right. We just want to be a part of something bigger than just ourselves. You know, we want to have that sense of pride and purpose again. Like give us something that we can really latch onto and, and feel that sense of accomplishment again. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when, yeah, they might be offering some jobs and stuff, but they're not always necessarily at the level that can associate with some of that stuff. So, um, not to not to demean the the positive things that people try to do for veterans because it's all great. But right. I think for most veterans, that's where that's lacking of a sense of purpose, you know, ambition, uh, and all that. It, it causes a lot of conflict in your mind. Mm -hmm. yeah, it kind of comes with. Um, finding solutions to help veterans mm. not coming from veterans themselves. Right. It kind of mm. everything sounds nice and flowery and mm. we're supporting you, but not knowing being dis being disconnected from what you actually need and want. Right. You know, that's something that has to I think has to come from someone that's been there. Absolutely. If you trust that Absolutely. Person. Yep. Um so maybe that gets us to tactical recovery. No, it's I so. was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> it's it's so funny you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, so why don't you tell me about it? So Tactical Recovery is a program that is created for to allow veterans to empower other veterans. The um, principal kind of philosophy is that I want internal accountability for everyone. It's more of a um, platoon or clubhouse type environment where it's not 
very uh, regimented and structured, but yet everyone is kind of getting each other's backs and there's no like institutionalization whatsoever. Like I try to remove that as much as humanly possible um, because I don't want, you know, we get enough of that as it is through the VA and, and all sure. that stuff. I wanted it to just be like a bunch of friends getting together, trying to help everybody and make sure that everybody is, is doing what they need to do and being able to achieve uh, what they're capable of achieving. And we do it together. Sure. So, um, and then that, you know, obviously our focus is centered around recovery. That's where our main um, focus is on. But then, you know, it's just life encompassing and everything, you know, like I just want the, you know, we, we veterans, they pay the sacrifice enough, like they should mm -hmm. be able to enjoy life as much as possible. And if we can help each other um, achieve that, you know, level of happiness and, and everything, then hey, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I think you maybe already, or I guess what, are there any like structured activities or is it, um, I guess, how does it, how does it work? Sure. Programming-wise, right now, um, what, what it is is there's three different phases basically. There's in-classroom, there's group, and then there's recreational activities. So a couple different times during the week, I'll have a classroom session where we'll discuss a different type. I, I Everything that I use as teaching is straight out of Smart Recovery, um, just because it's the only evidence-based recovery program that exists to date, um, unfortunately. But it, it's still, and the material that they have, it can cross over into so many different areas. So it's very beneficial that way. So um, I'll teach a different you know, recovery skill, life skill from Smart Recovery, and then we have one-on-one -on -one sessions available for people where I can take that that skill set that we taught to a generalized group and help to try to fine tune it just a little bit down for the actual individual's um, personal experience. And then from there, it's you can take that and then apply it to a real life scenario where we go out on a recreational outing of some sort, whether it be um, going to a baseball game or um, you know we've gone and done. Um, Gosh, what were they called? The uh, escape rooms downtown. Okay. We've done different stuff like that. Just, just fun How'd you guys stuff. Do? Pretty good. Everybody <laughs> loved it. I know, yeah. and I was actually very surprised at how fun it really mm -hmm. is. You know, and it's a good team building experience. I was, I was very happy. But yeah, it's, it's just about you know, um, getting back out into normal like society um, activities, and then trying to implement those um, tools that we taught in, in the classes and stuff. So it's kind of a crawl, walk, run kind of mentality, which is something that's preached quite heavily in the military, so. Sure. Um, what are some, I, I guess, what are some difficulties or, or barriers to uh, veterans saying, get to, getting to that point mm -hmm. and realizing that they need to seek out a group like this? Ooh, that's a good question. I think a lot of the same things that that I mentioned earlier that, you know, were causing me problems, the pride, um, you know, you're, you're coming from such a, an elite place or whatever you want to call it that, you know, to ask for help just kind of makes you feel like, like you're not achieving what you could be, you know, sure. not to use the word failure, but I guess it kind of makes you feel that way, you know, like you're used to being able to handle things and, and when you, you can't handle them on your own, then you know that there's somebody, you know, standing to your left or to your right that's going to help you handle it. Well, when that's all removed and now you're kind of on your own and then you can't deal with it, you don't have anybody to go to to try to ask how to deal with it, even if there is someone 
um, but you don't really know them, you don't know their history. That's why it's so beneficial to have it be a veteran, a peer type of relationship because mm -hmm. there's that instant connection when people walk through the door of knowing that we've all served and we've all kind of been through some bit of a journey that mimics everybody else's. Sure. Um, so there's that instant connection and it really helps break down a lot of barriers for a lot of people and just create a very uh, conducive environment for healing, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, aside from that, it's it's a great question. I know it's something that is, is our biggest hurdle to overcome um, is to, you know, let people under, let the veterans know that, hey, here is this program for you. Mm -hmm. If you're struggling, it's okay, it's not your fault. Like. Look what you've been through you know it's, right. it's it's understandable but you know just come and talk to us and we can help you get through some of this stuff because you can't do it on your own unfortunately it's just too powerful right these these you know ptsd and substance abuse and all that stuff is just it's too too difficult to do on your own there might be a few people out there who have managed to be able to go from you know having substance abuse problems to not using that substance anymore sure. but i'm from the belief that they never really get they never really recover they never really get healed it's just Absolutely. they stopped using that substance you know mm -hmm. so um we want to have you come in so that you don't have to even consider using that substance anymore we're not so much you do have to address the substance use issue but it's usually some other underlying condition that is driving the substance use and that's what Absolutely. we really want to focus on yeah and we hear a lot of the, a lot about that in smart recovery too, mm -hmm. yep. because not doing the thing that brought you there is is a big step. If you can't have recovery without stopping that activity or that thought process, but you can't get recovery unless you kind of dig into why, right? You know why why that happened in the first place? Why did that thought process change? And you know it's kind of it's funny because it's not funny, but it's interesting that you don't do. I mean, you don't do anything in the military by yourself. No. It's you do your you know you have your team you mm -hmm. have your your units um, you do nothing by yourself but then when you get home you kind of think that you can should be able to right. handle anything by yeah. yourself yeah um, I think that's kind of interesting mm -hmm. um, so what type of what that's fine. Okay. what what type of um, outreach have you been doing like how are you getting people so aware? we were partnered with this still through the LAVMP. So we do get some referrals through them, through the Veterans Court as well. They really try to push some people over here. Additionally, Justice Support Services is another area. We, they have accredited this program so that anybody who is in uh, Justice Support Services, awesome. they can get um, their, their hours or whatever mm -hmm. it is that they call it through coming to us. Um, and then the, additionally, word of mouth. Uh, is a really big, big one, a call to action, like, you know, letting people know, hey, if you know someone, tell them this exists. Uh, social media, and then um, we did do some some radio and TV type stuff for a little while, but um, the, I would say the biggest thing, especially when you're dealing with something like recovery, it's so personal that it's best when it's coming from another person because right. it just breaks down the, uh, the taboo of it, I guess, a little bit when right. somebody's talking you to it directly, you know, like it's really easy to put up a defense and tell yourself, you know, I don't have any of these problems when you're just hearing it over the radio or seeing it on the TV. But when right. somebody's talking to you directly and you know that these things exist, but you putting up a shield and hoping that they can't see it, it creates a little bit more vulnerability in yourself. And then it might help you, the person who is suffering from it kind of 
come to terms with, okay, I, I do need to ask someone for some assistance. Sure. And that's, that's perfectly acceptable. I mean, that's, there's no other way to overcome this stuff. You know? Right. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a challenge, a challenge yeah. for everybody. You bet. Um, so yeah, I mean, person to person, do you have, do you get, you know, a lot of referrals from the community um, that, or is it mainly from like network of veterans? I would say network of veterans. The network of veterans is the biggest one. Um, the vet center is another one where we will get some people that that come on down. Um, but you know we're, we're we are still very much in the infancy of this uh, program. Technically speaking, we've only been operational for about four months, considering the shutdown for the COVID and okay. all that stuff. So, um, in four months. We had approximately, it was right around 80 participants. Now that's not to say 80 different participants, but 80 people participated in the various things that we did in that four month time span. So I would say all in all, there was probably 20 to 30 different veterans that participated. They just participated in multiple different things Mm -hmm. on different days, which um, one of the neat things about this program is you don't have to participate in the whole thing. You can pick and choose what you want to participate. If all you want to do is go out on the recreational outings, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. You can can do that. If you just want to come for the the veteran smart meeting, that's fine too. Um, This is something that we're trying to provide at to fit your lifestyle, what you know, the person that needs it um, is available um, to access, and yeah, to run with it as best as possible. Okay, I mean, it still seems like a pretty healthy group, you know. 30, yeah, thirty people, mm-hmm. um, especially in four months. Right, kind of just right. getting started. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty. It was it was it was good. We were really building up some steam there, and then <laughs> the world kind of. How have you adjusted to that? Um, we we basically unfortunately just kind of been at a complete holding pattern right now. Okay. Um, Hoping to kind of reopen things back up in July, get the stuff going again. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, for now, we um, have, have put everything on hold. Okay. Have you been able to maintain contact with a lot of the people? Um, not not all of them. A couple of them, unfortunately. Um, you know, the social media stuff is still out there, but even that has really ground down to a halt just because. Sure. You know, yes, we do put a lot of inspirational messages out and stuff still, but. There, you know, like what I utilize the social media for is that connection on what we had going, what was coming up, sure. so that people knew what they could, uh, what to attend and where they could attend it. And unfortunately, that's just not happening right now. So we are definitely um, really going to need to re-evaluate um, our promotional type stuff once everything kind of gets back to normal, and we're going to have to right. have a real big campaign and push to to get the word out to people. And that's something that we're we're working on currently. Um, going over some different ideas on different things we want to maybe try to do. Um, something that is, is in my mindset is to have some type of a competition, whether it be a Tough Mudder event or okay. just something that brings everybody out. It doesn't have to be just veteran specific, but everybody so that we can then, if they're not a veteran, have kind of a call to action for them to go out and find us veterans, bring them in, let them know. And then if you are a veteran, hey, now you're, you know, you know what we got. So um, nothing's nothing set up yet, but hopefully we'll have something soon on that. Okay. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing that. I mean, that'd be, that'd, that'd be kind of cool. It would be. be able to it would be. And some of our, the organizations that we partner with, like we do um, partner up with 
Kirkpatch State Farm. He's one of our sponsors. So anytime that you get a quote, um, it's called Quotes for Good. And anytime you get a quote from him, if you're a new customer, um, he donates, I think it's like $10 to okay. use, regardless of whether or not you sign with him. So um, you just basically have to call Kirkpatch and say like, hey, can I get a quote for auto insurance? He'll provide you with a quote on what it would cost, and then he'll just donate ten dollars to just mention Tactical Recovery Group, and he'll donate ten dollars. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, nice. it's pretty great. So, and that's something that he um, was wanting to do kind of on his own. So he's on board with it, and then there's a couple different other um, partners that are interested as well. So hopefully, something will go with it. Mm. And so, kind of had to shut things down a little bit. Um, you did mention, I mean, in our discussions, you know, you mentioned another nonprofit that you've been working on yeah yeah so um if we go back to when we first started the interview and i was talking about um my service dog who ended up saving my life that's something that's very i hold very near and dear to my heart the benefit of service dogs and, and um ptsd animals like i said sure. i would not i would not be here today if he wasn't in in my in my life at that time unfortunately um just a few months back, he ended up passing away due to um, a brain tumor that came on kind of out of nowhere. And we were, I was trying to get him treatments and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it just, it was too heavy and, and he couldn't survive through it. But um, the treatments, radiation and stuff like that, very expensive stuff down at UW, right. I reached out to every nonprofit organization that might be willing to help that I could possibly find. I probably petitioned out to a hundred different places and a lot of them got back to me and a lot of the time I got the same answer where it was you know that's um, very tragic we're sorry to hear that but unfortunately it just doesn't kind of fit within our mission or we're not able to assist you because you're not within our geographical region where we are able to assist but then at one point um, I had an organization called the Brody Fund reach out to me and while that was still the case for them, I was not located within their geographical uh, region that they typically assist. They were just kind of so moved and touched by the story, they said, we're gonna make it happen anyways. And okay. the way they ended up making that happening is they created a brand new um, nonprofit for specifically for veterans and their animals who are fighting cancer. Okay. And they named it after um, my service dog Phoenix and it's called the it's called the Brody's Phoenix Fund and it's okay. it's a it's a program that is um, entirely dedicated specifically to veterans to help with the cost of their animals getting treatment for cancer okay so yeah and how nice uh, where are they based out of they're actually out of New Jersey okay but the veterans program itself is national. So you don't have to be, for that particular program, you can be anywhere to apply. Um, if you just Google Brody's Phoenix Fund, you'll be able to find it. And um, yeah, like I said, you can apply regardless of where you're located for the funds. Um, the Brody Fund itself is allocated specifically for New Jersey, but the Brody's Phoenix Fund is, is for everywhere. As long as you're a veteran, that's the only requirement. Yeah. Tell me about that relationship between you and well, between a veteran and their service dog yeah um you know it's something that's almost impossible to even put into words um i think for me he was the one kind of thing that was constant in my life no matter how bad things got mm -hmm. there was 
never any fear of judgment. Was I, you know, doing enough or was I um, successful enough for him? You know, just being there was enough for him. Um, just, you know, it's, it, I actually call it re relentless love is what it was. <laughs> like, no matter what I did, no matter where I was, you know, there was times I was sleeping in my car, homeless. He didn't care. He was always happy. He was always there. He just wanted to be with me. Um, you know, of course, he, he loved to play fetch, too, you know, and have stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, he broke through a lot of, a lot of um, barriers that I put up around my heart to protect myself yeah. from other things. Um, and he just smashed right through them and got right to the center. And, it, you know, it's that, I don't, it's almost the unspoken connection that you just, it's so hard to put into words, but it's just something that, you know, he doesn't have to say anything. I don't have to say anything. We could yeah. read each other. We knew each other. Um, you know, like, like the day that he saved my life, like there was nothing said. He just picked up on my heightened level of stress and just acted at the right time. I mean, yeah. had he, had he done that same um, thing 10 minutes earlier, it wouldn't have had that same effect, you know? So I don't know how he knew, but he knew, you know, he right. knew that I was in pain, that, you know, um, I was going through something very difficult and just to come over and you know, just set his head in my lap and just look at me and say, Hey man, it's okay. Like, you know, you're putting way too much on yourself. This isn't your fault. And, you know, right. I still want you to be here. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bond that I've never experienced in any other way. And, right. um, I think a lot of people who have had service animals in the past or, or currently would say the exact same thing. Um, I wish I could, um, put it into words better, but that's just, that's just the best way I can describe it. It's, it's so beneficial. And I actually, Another um, thing that I do is in-home counseling with people with addictions. That's not through tactical recovery or anything. It's through a different job that I have. Okay. Um, but being that I had Phoenix, he was always with me. It was easy to see the effect that he had on other people too. Right. Um, I remember I was working with one person and this person was very guarded, very reserved, very... Um, reluctant to, to tell me anything about their past. And then one day I just asked if um, he wanted to go to the dog park with me in Phoenix, just to, you know, throw the ball around a little bit and just um, have some fun. And he agreed. And we went there and immediately he starts playing fetch with Phoenix and he just kind of got out of his own head, right. got out of everything that was holding him back from opening up and just started spilling his guts. Sure. Not even really knowing that he was doing it. I mean, he'd just pick up the ball, throw it, Phoenix would get it, come back, drop it in his hand over, and before you know it, he's just told me all this incredible stuff about his life that I don't, you know, I don't think he ever would have told me except for in that type of a setting. So I, I've seen firsthand in myself and in other people the power and the effect that service animals can have. And while I think it's something that is, it's really growing in awareness, mm -hmm. I think there's still a lot more that can be done um, utilizing animals for this purpose, you know? Absolutely. So it's my hope to see that happen. I would love to see, you know, different um, counseling venues or whatever you want to call it that have a service dog that's just there and can bring him in when, you know, have a... a 
you know, a sexual assault survivor or something, yeah. or, you know, a veteran or um, a child that is dealing with some issues, you know, you can pull them in and they just start petting that animal and they get comfy and before you know it, um, healing starts to happen. Yeah. You know? It's pretty cool. Makes you feel comfortable to open up. Yeah, yeah. Nervous. It's strange the effect that they can have and it's just, it's such a powerful thing. I wish I could think of a word um, to do to give it justice, but I just can't. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just love. Like you yep. just know, I mean, I think you said it great about, you know, there's no judgment, there's mm -hmm. no expectation. There's just something that you know is there, the, mm -hmm. a, a family member. I mean, it's a yep. family member that you know it's there for you. Mm -hmm. um, if everything else falls apart, like you have that right. family member that you don't want to let down. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Yep, for sure. Um, what are some things, I think we're you know, wrapping up a little bit here, um, I guess, before we go, um, what are some things that um, civilians need to know or that we can do to be to better um, accept veterans back mm -hmm. into the into the world here? Um, I guess one thing is an understanding that, you know, we're not we're not damaged. Um, it, it, society has gotten a lot better about this, but, you know, go back to like after Vietnam and the way a lot of the veterans were kind of looked at back then is, is these broken, damaged um, people that, you know, weren't ever going to get to a place of, of being able to function in what most people deem as normal society. That's not the case. Um, we just do things in a totally different fashion than what you're mm -hmm. used to. And it's just how we are able to adjust. It's how we are um, that's how we're driven. That's how we succeed in things. That's what we were, we learned and we were taught when we were in the service. And even though majority of um, normal society doesn't play by those rules, it's still applicable, and right. we can still function um, in the same kind of confines that everybody else functions in, and be very successful in a lot of ways. And and on that same note, that's kind of one of the other things too is just allow us to um, have a, have you know meaningful um, and purposeful jobs and positions and just you know um, just know that we're capable of a lot of good things even if we're, we're you know have been through um, something like combat or something like that mm -hmm. um, yeah I can't think of anything on that note but um, it's just one of those things where, you know, people, they want to help. They don't know how to approach. I guess that's another one, too. It's just that's understand good. that it's okay to ask questions. I mean, mm -hmm. like for myself, I know, and I'm sure there's a lot of veterans that would attest to this, the things that I live through, I still live with every day in my head. Yeah. So if you ask me about them, you're not necessarily drudging stuff up that I don't think about every day anyways. Now, mm -hmm. you have to do it in a tactful you know, way, like if you just come up to a veteran and say, how many people have you killed? That's that's not the way right. things work. But yeah. give us a platform to kind of share these stories that we have because it's, it's traumatic, powerful, incredible things that we've been through that we have to live with every day, no matter what. So don't be afraid to ask. Let them, uh, let the veterans that you know kind of tell their story mm -hmm. the way that they want to tell it. Um, feel free to, um, you know, kind of want to learn what they went through. That's perfectly okay. If there's something that a veteran doesn't want to talk about, they're either going to say they don't want to talk about it or they're just not going to talk about it. You know? Right. Um, 
I don't think that there's any necessarily any wrong question, but there is a sense of delivering a question. Like, what is your purpose for asking this question? Is it because you want to learn about the struggles that the veteran has been through, or is it right. because you know you played too many video games and you're trying to stack up the kills, you know, right. or something like that? So, um, yeah, that's that's one of the other things I would I would say to to people is just understand that it's okay to want to talk. It's okay to want to know. We want you to yeah. come and ask us this stuff because. I think a lot of, like myself, when doing this, I didn't want to just start telling stories to people who weren't interested. I mean, because one, it kind of diminishes the significance of the story if they don't mm -hmm. want to hear the story. So why would I go through, you know, what I would have to go through to relive it, even though I'm reliving it all the time? And then two, who, you know, who really wants to listen is is a harder thing than deciding, well, does this person want to tell? You know what I'm saying? That, right. That, that, if that makes any sense. Like, it's easier to um, assess, you know, and find out if a veteran wants to talk than it is for a veteran to try to ask you if you want to listen, almost. You know? Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult than anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. walking around like, festival foods and kind of trying to find somebody that wants to listen to your story. Right, right. It's, it's not met. You no. know, it's, you're kind of looked, probably viewed as that person like mm -hmm. staying on a park bench yelling at everybody on the street. Right, kind of. exactly, exactly. Um, yep, yep. It almost puts you as, <laughs> it puts a person off to you if you just walk up to anybody and start sharing the stories mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, people aren't going to believe your story or whatever. It's just, it's just not realistic, you know, so. Is there, um, in that, in that respect, I mean, is there uh, any like one experience um, during your time in service that you feel kind of had the biggest impact on you, um, positively or negatively? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Um, some of them that, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be appropriate to tell here. Okay. Um, but I will say, what I will say is the biggest impact that affected me that I got from my military time was the relationship that I created with the men that I served with. It, again, is a relationship that, you know, I have brothers, I have sisters. It, you know, I love my brothers, I love my sisters, I love my mm -hmm. family, but the relationship I had with the guys in my platoon, it just transcends all of that in a way that, it, it, again, it's hard to describe. You, you know, you live together, you bleed together, you sweat together, you cry together, yeah. you know, in short, brief periods of time. We're not talking 20 years. We're talking, you know, for I think the average um, soldier serves two or three years of time, you know. In two or three years, you pack in so many experiences and um, you, you know, you always have that person to rely on. They're there all the time. And then you, it's the only kind of environment where you really have to rely on someone for your um, survival of living, yeah. you know, it's not just words. When they, when somebody says, "Hey, I got your back," they prove it through their actions. Sure. And um, that relationship, you know, I have guys who I served with who I probably haven't seen or really even talked to in any significance for, you know, five or six years. But I could call them up today, and we wouldn't miss a beat. We would go sure. right back into everything that we, um, the way we had it five six years ago just because of the relationship that we have the the bond that we have through the experiences that we shared so i'm sure uh, once and once you get once you get back from that is there like is there a desire to reach out to other people that you served with 
or is um, that something that needs needs a little bit of time? I think for some it is. I think it really. I think that's kind of just an individual thing. Um, you know, I definitely uh, work at staying connected to some degree. Sure. I want to know that if I if I want to or if I need to reach out to someone and connect with them, I can. Sure. Um, now there's you know unfortunately life gets busy and and you know we're scattered all across the country, so certain things you start having families, relationships, careers. And it keeps you from talking to them as much as possible. But I always want to know that, you know, if I need to for something, I can reach out to them. Like, sure. for example, the day that I had my suicide attempt, one of the very first people that I called, um, in fact, he might have been, I just can't remember for sure, I think he was the first person that I called, was a guy who I served with just to kind of talk about, um, you know, everything that I was dealing with. And he was the first person that I opened up to about having a substance abuse problem. Okay. Um, and you know so i want to have that still available and i want them to have that for me too in case they need something because right i did i did a kind of an internal little survey or whatever you want to call it once where i went back and i counted all the people that i served with in my platoon it was like 46 guys um and then i started counting how many are in prison how many have a substance abuse problem how many are dead how many mm -hmm. committed suicide or this, this and the other. And it, when I finally got done counting of all that I knew of, cause I'm not in, unfortunately I'm not in connection with all 46, right. but out of all of them that I knew, which was a good majority, over two thirds fell into that category where they had one of those four things, wow. whether it be in prison, dead, substance abuse, or have had a suicide attempt. Yeah. Two thirds, that's, yeah. I mean, unacceptable in, in my eyes, I think everybody would agree. And it's just unfortunate because um, it doesn't have to be that way. And, right. you know, I, I believe that we shouldn't have to live with all of that that we're, you know, is causing all these problems. Right. And they don't, they don't have to. They just got to get, you know, some assistance from the right people. And, you know, it's my hope that tactical recovery can provide that to them because it's something that's very familiar. Um, one thing that I didn't mention earlier is, you know, the name of the group Tactical Recovery. It's named that because by design, I wanted it to play off what I call and I refer to as the tactical mindset. And sure. every person who's ever served in any branch of the military, they've all been taught the tactical mindset. And what the tactical mindset is just that to never leave a brother behind, a brother or sister behind, to um, police your own get each other's backs. And that's what I wanted to play off for this program. And that's why I called it Tactical Recovery to kind of um, pick up on that same kind of way of thinking. You know, we're going to protect our own. We're gonna get your back. You know, um, if you're not doing so well today, I'm gonna help. When I'm not doing so well tomorrow, you're gonna help yeah. me, you know? And that's, that's what I wanted because I think that that's what most veterans are used to. Um, it's a very familiar place, and there's just a lot of connection that comes in that type of environment. Yeah. So tactical recovery, you're thinking maybe July? For, for restarting? For, for restarting. Yep. yep. How, can, how can we best help that be a successful restart? Um, the biggest thing right now is just getting that word out to let them know. I mean, I know like from my own experience, I isolated and, you know, when I isolated, I dug in like a tick and just got deep, you know, where I yeah. disconnected from 
from TV, um, social media, all that stuff. Like, um, so getting the word out to veterans, let them know whether it be word of mouth or through someone else or whatever. And just don't be afraid to, I don't want to make people be judgmental, but at the same right. time, don't be afraid to kind of wonder, is someone struggling? You sure. know, like that's something that's really hard for everybody to assess, you know, working in, in addictions and stuff like that. That's something I know a lot of people ask about, well, how can I tell if my loved one or if right. this person is actually has an addiction issue? And there's a lot of indicators and usually um, the people who are best at picking up on them are the ones who have been through it, but yeah. kind of, you know, trust your instincts and it's okay to ask that person, and, you know, are you are you struggling? Are you hurting right now? You know, right. don't frame it from a, um, don't frame it from a point of where you're um, judging them or kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> um, I don't know, you're not judging them. Yeah. You're just trying to evaluate where they're at. Right. You know, um, you're not calling them out. You're not putting anything on them. You're just mm -hmm. trying to, you're coming from a caring place and you're trying to see, and I would say that, you know, majority of the time, if they don't have a problem and you ask these questions, it would just be a, a casual, no, I'm okay, or sure. whatever. It wouldn't end up being a big issue. If it becomes a big issue where there's a major blow up, then I would say there's probably a pretty <laughs> strong likelihood that, yeah, yeah, there is something wrong, you know? Um, because why would anybody get upset for having, for knowing that someone cares about them and mm -hmm. wants to make sure that they're okay? Yeah. You know, so unless they're hiding something. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that we really need is to just continue to drive the message home that, uh, and get it to the veterans that, Hey, you know, if you're struggling, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you don't have to have a substance use issue to come be a part of this program. Right. If you're just, you know, suffering from social anxiety and you haven't been able to plug back into, you know, the system that is out there, that's so different from what we're familiar with come on and join us, you know, like you can help a different veteran who's suffering from something, you know, um, it's not, it's not a uh, strike against you to ask for help. It actually takes a very strong person to come and ask yeah. for help. It's, it's way more difficult to admit your vulnerabilities than it is to try to cover them up. So um, that's the biggest thing. Just continue to get that word out, let people know, um, you know another obviously funding is always a positive thing that we mm -hmm. need you know it's this is a nonprofit, so everything that we use to um drive the program it's all done through donation and stuff like that so but um yeah i guess those are the two biggest ones right now sure you have a a, a page set up to take donations Unfortunately, no, but they can make a donation directly to our website for okay. the Cooler Recovery Center. And you would just make a memo that you, if you wanted to allocate those funds specifically for tactical recovery, you can do okay. that right there. Um, so we don't have like a GoFundMe page or anything like that. But the website is available. Otherwise, you could just mail it right to the Cooler Recovery Center as well. But yeah. Okay. Well, perfect. Yeah. Well, JT, thank you very much for yeah. being here. I appreciate you kind of sharing yourself, sharing your stories. Um, and I look forward to seeing this place reopen. Yeah, me too. I really appreciate you coming on out and giving me an opportunity to kind of share my story. I, I want to be able to do that as much as possible because if that can help, if it can resonate with someone and it can help them right. know that they're not alone, then, you know, it helps make, gives me a little bit more purpose in why I suffered and everything that I went through. So, and that can then, you know, 
translate into the next person once they um, have their kind of healing process and they can then help somebody else. So yeah, I really appreciate you coming on out and doing this and uh, yeah, hope for a lot of great things in the future. Perfect. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Awesome. I guess I think we got it. Yeah. Nice. I know